I all of a sudden had this image of lightning coming straight through the ceiling, right down and zapping me. And I knew lightning spreads. And I was like, it'll hit everybody in this row. And I'm going to kill everybody in the church. You you cannot realize how real this was to me. Even though rationally, rationally, I did not believe that was going to happen. What in the world? I literally ran out of the service. I got to the car. I'm having massive panic attack trying to be like Jessica it's not real nothing's gonna happen to you it's okay you can confess your sins now welcome to the full mutuality podcast I'm Gail I'm Nate and And today oh (laughs) I missed it up Oh, you're I fun. love it. I'm I so used it. to being like, and I'm just like a go for it. No, that's so bad. No, I'm leaving this as is. I want our audience to hear this. Oh. Totally as is. We're gonna we've got we've got our drinks in hand. We're yes. having a great time. This- <laughs> you're joining us after we've already had a little bit of introduction. But actually, Jessica it runs a podcast. Uh, yep. She does one with her co-host. Um, Kathleen and you guys, Reynolds. Kathleen yes. Reynolds, mm-hmm. and you guys uh, do one called Leaving the Village. That's correct. Uh, yes. And you guys talk about ATI. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to elaborate a bit on the podcast that I'm, you do? I mean, yeah, we, you can just check it out. We're on all the platforms, um, Leaving the Village. And yeah, we talk about our experiences with leaving um, the IBOP uh, ATI cult of Bill Gothard. So, yeah. Okay. So IBLP. Yeah. IBLP ATI. and ATI. Acronyms. Those are acronyms. Yes. What, they are. what does this mean? How big is this? What is this? Who started it? Tell us about it. Okay. So, yeah, IBLP stands for Institute in Basic Life Principles, and it was started by Bill Gothard in the 60s. Um, we're talking a long time ago. Um, it, his dad, his parents, you know, were very involved in creating this ministry that originally was called Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts. And he was at Wheaton College with Bill Gothard was with, you know, Elizabeth Elliot and, you know, the the other contemporaries of that that the era. heavy hitters in in yeah that mm-hmm. that era even, of evangelical conservative mm-hmm. Christianity. Yes, and Wheaton was like the center of all of that, and so he graduated. So while he's there, he starts this youth ministry, this youth outreach that he called. Um, I think he called it like Campus Life or Campus Youth okay. or something along that lines. Anyway, um, it evolved into what became the Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts, and from there he created this seminar that you'd go to in the evenings um, and churches would bus people to a large church or um, even an arena in town like a basketball arena and you would you would go every evening and a Monday through uh, Friday evening and go through what Bill called the basic seminar and he would teach his basic principles and then on Saturday, you'd have a full day and that would be the end of it. And you'd have this big book of notes and he had a very straightforward style. If you Google Bill Gothard's basic seminar, you can watch him just standing with a blue screen behind him and he's just flipping things on one of those charts that you projects onto the, you know, screen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you would write all these notes and it was very... I think most churches considered it to just be real standard evangelicalism. Like it was, you know, pretty basic stuff, <laughs> the basic seminar. <laughs> um, but there was in there, you know, a lot of more extreme patriarchy, um, extreme versions of um, of headship and power differentials and this type of thing. Mm. But at the time, it it went over pretty, it, pretty it went standard. Over, came, yeah, it came across pretty standard, pretty conservative, but like nothing radically crazy. Most church evangelical churches in the U.S. sent a van load of people to these seminars hmm. during the 70s and 80s, which is when my parents went. Okay. My parents went to a basic seminar in the 1970s. Um, and then in about the mid-80s, the name changed from... Institute in Basic Youth Conflicts to Institute in Basic Life Principles. That's where IBLP comes from. That's where IBLP comes from. And then during the early 80s, that is when Bill decided that 
homeschooling was where it's at. Now, this was, of course, the very beginning of the evangelical homeschool movement, Mm -hmm. which was this mass exodus out of public schools and into homeschooling for the purpose of, well, we know, avoiding racism, you know, race, uh, all of that. Well, that's how Um, my alma mater was started, um, where I went to, where I got my quote unquote university degree. Um, They... They were founded as a response to, you know, schools forced being forced to integrate. Yeah. And so these white parents, evangelical parents, were taking their children out of school and going, I'm not sending my children Mm. to school with black children. And Bill capitalized on this moment that was happening Mm. and decided to create the very first homeschool program for home education. And he called it the Advanced Training Institute. And that's where the ATI acronym comes in. And that's where the homeschooling aspect came into play. So that's interesting. So ATI is not a church, but you you have to, I guess, to become a member, you have to fill out a a form Mm -hmm. and you have to follow certain rules. It's... You have to apply to get in. It's it's kind of like going to college Mm. as a family. It's like your whole family is applying to go to this special college. You're signing on board to be a part of this special group. (laughs) mm -hmm. And... When we got in, we were a third-year family, is what they called it back then. Um, now I, you know, I think they've lost track of how many years there are, and so I don't know any, anyone who says I'm a fourteenth-year family. Wait, like, so that- <laughs> third year meaning the third year it was running ATI. You guys got mm-hmm. in, oh, okay, right off yes. the, near the beginning of the really moment. early. So we was this was really in the eighties? I'm guessing. Yes, okay. this was in the eighties. I was eight years old. Um, and how so long like, did you stay for? To, from eight to what age? Till I graduated from high school and got married. Wow. So I was 19 when we got out. It's like over and 10 years. Did, yes. And so they had several, ATI had several really big hallmark things that were their thing. Um, one of them was reversals is in, because they were the, on the cutting edge of the quiverful movement. I was going to so, ask okay. how, they, how they were tied to the quiverful movement because that, that seemed to be somehow linked. Mary Pride was just writing her book. Um, this was all just, I don't know if you know that one, The Way Home, I think is the name of her book. Okay. But she, For those she who don't of, know, sorry, the Quiverful yeah, Movement, and I'm going to give the most short version of it because I don't know a ton about it, but from what I understand, the, the basic summary of it is it's families that believe God wants you to just birth control is not good. You must just produce as many kids and the be- more the better in order to help mm-hmm. raise up a godly army for Jesus. So that's right. what I understand Quiverful is about. Yes, it's it's a it's a response to feminism as well. Okay. It okay. is a massive response against feminism and saying that women were designed by God to give birth to children, to stay home with children, to raise children. And so their bodies should not be stopped from doing that. So um, they don't even – Quiverful is also very against natural family planning. So mm. any sort of rhythm or timing things to be careful not to conceive at certain times. No. The idea is to actually just leave it alone and let, let go. God decide. Oh, My wow. little fingers here. <laughs> um, plan your family. Mm-hmm. Um and so it was a direct response to, um, yeah, the feminist movement, which was it's very, you know, building up a lot of steam at that point in the 70s and 80s. And so my my parents were caught up in this. And so what the thing that ATI did that I'd, I've never heard of outside of ATI is encouraging parents to get reversal surgeries, which is to oh. reverse a vasectomy or a oh, tubal wow. ligation. And so families within ATI would do this. There were tons of them. And my mother was one of them. Oh, she wow. had a reversal. And I had two siblings after that. Um, my mom had two more kids. And they were called reversal babies. So that was a big thing in a- ATI. Wow. you had a reversal oh. baby. I mean, that... And if you had a reversal baby, you were cool. You were like... You got like special, <laughs> special ATI special. points. You got to wear <laughs> yes. a special badge at conferences. I had yes. reversal babies. No. Oh they'd God. have they'd line them all up. They'd have the mothers come up and oh, line wow. up in the front. And then as the years go by and the babies got bigger, they had reversal choirs where they would all stand oh, up on oh stage and sing. All these little kids that were the reversal babies. Yeah. Wow. It was a big deal. And if you couldn't make it happen, but I don't know how much people realize that reversals are not guaranteed to work. Right. I mean, I've heard in the cases and, of isectomies, it's like 50-50. And I don't – the other – like women getting reversals yeah. is much more of a dangerous surgery from what I understand. It's, it's pretty involved. I remember it vividly. I was 10 when my mom had had hers done 
Um, and, you know, and my brother was born when I was 11. And then my next sibling was born when I was uh, 13. And um, yeah, so it was a big deal. So that that's a big part of ATI. And then the other big piece was courtship okay. and, and no college. So that was the other. So those are like the three main things. No college. So they had their own apprenticeship programs, mm. they called them. So you would edu- be educated after the wisdom booklets through their apprenticeship programs. And I keep using air quotes here yeah, because people can't these things. Yeah. But wisdom books no, is something special to ATI. It's your the curriculum you use at curriculum. home. It's okay. your devotionals. Mm-hmm. Your or I don't know how many times a day you do them. No, but... it was your curriculum. It was, okay. it was your homeschool curriculum to teach you. Okay. okay. Um, and then once they were old enough, you were supposed to send them off to the apprenticeship programs that they had. And they had many different ones. Hmm. Um, Before and, we, we uh, do that, the apprenticeship programs, I'm trying to think. You said yeah. no college. And I when I was listening to your podcast, I, I heard you mention that, the, you know, in terms of materials you guys used, they avoided – they tried to make you, like, basically turn off from everything except ATI. When it mm-hmm. came to TV, media, everything you weren't supposed to have. Um, but uh, they were okay with Bob Jones University materials? Was that – because that's yes. the alma mater he Nate yeah. comes from that he was mentioning. Yeah. So I was kind of wondering the tie-in between Bob Jones and ATI. Any idea on that? or? I'm sure they were friends, um, you know, the leaderships there. But but see, Bill was very anti-college and Bob Jones was a university. Mm-hmm. That's, so That's why I'm curious a bit about them using Bob Jones material because it's still a university, you know, even with the... it w- They would let us watch their movies. And my mom used Bob Jones, like, math programs mm-hmm. and some of the... Because they... We did... ATI is not enough. I mean, yeah. if you go through those wisdom booklets, you're like... I was listening to you guys covering that too on your <laughs> podcast. I strongly recommend it. If if you were in part of ATI, they and even if you're not, they break it down for you. You guys do a great job of explaining. Yeah. Like you guys were covering, I think, a math section, and I was like, "What?" And you guys, you guys were like, "Yeah, this is it. This is how they taught math." And I was like, "How would anyone learn math this way?" <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not a math education. Right. It's just talking about how the Bible has something in it that you could. Count break down with math. <laughs> yeah, you could count exactly. You could count. There's the a number book of, in the I Bible called Numbers, and they count and they count things. <laughs> That's you your learned. math textbook, right? <laughs> but that wasn't even what it was. Like it was just like I don't know, feeding the five thousand and how God multiplies things. I mean, like, oh my God. yeah. And they're not really yeah. teaching how to do the multiplication, just saying, mm-hmm. see, multiplication happened. So multiplication Multiple- is from the Bible. Right. So they did kind of encourage you to have a math program. <laughs> My mom would be like, this isn't <laughs> going to work. we got to have something else. So, yeah, sometimes she would use Bob Jones, okay. um, their their homeschool, their school curriculum, because Bob mm-hmm. Jones curriculum was designed for private mm-hmm. school, private Christian schools. Yes. So that's what ATI was kind of competing with Bob yeah. Jones be, really by saying our program is just for homeschooling. You oh. can't use it in a private school. This is for homeschooling families that are all in. Yeah. They're the real deal. Wow. That's interesting because Nate went to a private mm-hmm. Christian school that probably, you know, we Bob- used a lot of Bob Jones and yeah. Abeka. Abeka. Uh-huh. Yep. You know Abeka. Yep. So <laughs> that's interesting because then to think that you guys were competing against that. And yet Nate remembers there was a lot of ATI families that ended up at Bob Jones, which is. That's an interesting yes. thing, uh, an interesting phenomenon that I'm curious mm-hmm. about because, you know, you said Gothard is famously anti college, and yet you have ATI kids showing up. And applying for university at Bob Jones. I actually got their Bob Jones's um, their university catalog in the mail oh. as because I would somehow hit their mailing list when I was in my teens, and I remember pouring over it and just thinking, "Oh my gosh! If only I was allowed to go to college!" You know, because it was sounded like amazing to be able to leave home and like go to and like study things like they had it i was really into drama and music mm-hmm. and i was like i could go to their drama they have a drama program like mm. i was just like i drooled and drooled over that magazine that you know catalog magazine thing um that came in the mail but yeah no um some of the kids did beg you know their parents okay. or their parents were like fine you know i guess if we're gonna get secular and all that you can go to bob jones <laughs> or pensacola christian college yeah. oh man yeah. that's even one. the yeah. more extreme one than bob jones from what i understand mm-hmm. I mean, the levels of fundamentalism are, so pcc 
likes to say that they are more fundamentalist than Bob Jones, which they, at this point they might they might be because Bob Jones has Maybe. evolved a little bit over the last yeah. several years. But the only thing I remember that's at the time that I was there, the only thing that separated the two was that PCC was um, KJV only and Bob Jones mm-hmm. allowed for other translations, but they did Ooh. require that you use KJV for most of your... Was ATI uh, KJV only? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. It was. Um, although I remember as I was leaving that that was becoming a big conversation. Like it, at first it was just kind of assumed because there wasn't a whole lot else. You know, right. in the 80s there was just KJV. Especially and there if you were more conservative. NIV. Fundamentalist. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember my mom had an NIV Bible and thinking – Kind of being, kind of being like, trouble. If people find out about the NIV. Let's not let anybody know. You know? And she, she like used it for her own like personal Bible study. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, my parents, you know, were not as radical at home as as. But ATI just kept radicalizing us more and mm. more and more the longer we were in. Yeah. Um, and especially with a purity culture. Yeah. We're going to get to some of that. Yes, because Quiverful needs purity culture and purity culture needs Quiverful. Like they go hand in hand. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? So, you know, you really purity culture obviously starts young. You, You start indoctrinating a lot of very specific gender roles. And then, you know, all of this, you know, modesty culture and all of that comes in and I don't know how much you guys have talked about purity culture on your. We haven't actually discussed no, it haven't. as a topic. We should, we we definitely would love to yes. get into it because it's an important one. I we did when we were covering. I guess we started off talking about the rise and fall of Mars Hill Christianity Today podcast, yes. and the second episode we did uh, was specifically about the episode Christianity Today did on Mars Hill covering. Joshua Harris, who wrote the book, Mm -hmm. I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which was almost the purity culture manifesto of my generation, probably ours Mm -hmm. in the 80s, 90s was like everyone was reading. I came from an evangelical church uh, in my childhood and Nate came out of fundamentalism, but evangelicals were all on board with it just as much as fundamentalists were when it came to the purity culture stuff. Mm -hmm. I feel like that spanned both groups really, really strongly. It was everywhere. So we covered, I mean, even we like, covered him, Joshua Harris, but not in depth and definitely yes. didn't get into purity culture. No, so. so my parents knew the Harrises. I don't, I didn't meet Josh. He would have probably been, he's younger than me. So he would have been a kid that I might've met at a conference or something. But our parents were in the same world of. Was he ATI? The, Joshua Harris? No, no. Okay. They, the Harrises were not. Um, but they were, you know, the conservative Christian homeschool movement very was all-encompassing and and very tight. And so ATI was smack dab in the middle. And everyone who was in the conservative Christian culture knew ATI people and then, and vice versa. You knew people outside of ATI but who, who thought very much like you. And so it, it kind of all blended together. And Josh's book came out actually the year after I got married. Okay. So I had already done my courtship. Oh. And um, so you knew almost, about it before he taught people to do it. Oh, long. We I first ATI taught courtship from the get go. Mm. And I remember hearing about it when I was 11 um, or about 10. And I remember my parents took me to my first basic seminar. I was so little, you know, trying to take notes and because it's not for kids. Mm. And I, but I sat there and was trying to be so studious. And I'll never forget the the when they introduce courtship. And my dad, you know, drives me home that evening. We're sitting in the car. And I remember pulling into the driveway at the house and sitting there and him saying, so what do you think about the courtship thing? And I said, well, um, it sounds like a big commitment, you know, because they, they ask you for a commitment mm. to commit to courtship. And he said, yeah, it is. And I, I want you to think about it really hard before you decide to do it. And I said, okay, but do I really get to decide? Like, is it something I can really say no to? And he just kind of sat there real quiet, like, not really. (laughs) That was kind of the, you know, like, we're just going to wait till you get on board. And I remember this moment of grief of realizing I don't get to pick my husband. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do it that way. But, you know, your mom and I will be real involved in how you, you know, and you won't be dating. And I just remember thinking I'm giving up something, a piece of myself Mm -hmm. that 
and it was a very hard decision and and I but I did it and then once I did it it suddenly became very romantic and I bought all in because that's kind of my personality I, I tend to like go cautiously up to something and like mm, sure but if I'm gonna buy in I'm all in you know and, and so I kind of bought in and and then it was like it seemed like it was going to be the most romantic thing ever and I was so excited and dreamed about it endlessly and then ended up meeting the man who became my husband when I was about 16 and he was 21, 22, 23. Oh. <laughs> so um, we did not start a courtship at that point, but um, knew of him for a long time. And then um, when our courtship began, it was straight up textbook ATI courtship. Like we did it. What does that look like for those who don't know what ATI textbook courtship looks like? Yeah. So it was very, very similar to I Kiss Dating Goodbye, if you've read that. So, you know, the father would notice maybe a young man paying a lot of attention to his daughter um, the young man would be expected to go to the father and say, hi, you know, I'm, I noticed your daughter. Um, she seems pretty lovely. Um, and I would like to, uh, talk to you about a relationship with her that would lead to marriage and they would talk. So it would be, you know, maybe they would talk a couple of times or maybe they would talk for months and months and months. In my case, um, he was around a lot and he didn't say anything and everyone could see the chemistry between us, but nothing was being said. So like he didn't tell me he liked me. I didn't tell him I liked him. Nothing was happening. Um, and so finally it became this big thing. All of our close friends were talking about it. Like, what are we going to do? I, I didn't know this, by the way, no clue. Anybody was talking about this. <laughs> And uh, so finally, um, one of our close friends confronted the man who became my husband and uh, said, you need to talk to her dad right away because he's getting really upset because you haven't said anything. And he said, well, you know, I really wanted to talk to my parents first because that was another part of it is that, that both parents really needed to be involved. And his parents lived five states away. So mm. he wanted them to come visit and then talk all at the same time, like everybody be in the same room together. Well, then once my dad knew that, he calmed down and we waited for them to come for a visit. And they did. And again, I did not know this conversation had happened. No one told me. So he comes to, they came to town and um, there was a big conversation again without me there. Hmm. So you're just I, like, this is fun. There. My friend is coming to town and his parents are coming around it, and they're, um, we're all he chilling. Was, he lived in town. He lived in town. And I saw him every day. Um, he was a friend of the family in, in my mind. And so I saw him, he was over at the house having dinner. You know, he didn't have family in the area. So we knew each other quite well. Um, but I hadn't met his parents or his family because they okay. lived far away. So they came to visit him because he had moved to the area where I lived. Um, and again, not to be with me, it just happened to work out that way. And so they came and our parents talked alone without either of us there. And they're like, I think our kids are into each other. I think we should start a courtship. Yes, that sounds great. This this is official. Everybody shakes hands. I don't know. Wow. It was, I mean, my parents literally met those people that same day. Um, and then and since the chemistry between us was really evident to everyone, but when you're raised in purity culture, like I didn't know what that was. <laughs> like I didn't I didn't have any words. I mean, I could have told you I had a crush on him, but I couldn't have told you that he liked me back for sure. Mm. Like I didn't, we didn't talk about it. So I woke up the next morning to my dad, going, come on, we want to talk to you. And they took me downstairs and they're like, okay, you're recording. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, I, 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 I am like, I was in so much shock. You cannot know. I was like, so he, he does like me. And they're like, yeah, like they, they were, you know, they were raised in different eras. So they're like, she doesn't know he doesn't, he likes her. Like, it's as obvious to everyone around us that he likes her, you know, like, but I didn't know. He didn't say anything. Like, I mean, I didn't know for sure. So that day we have our first conversation about the fact that we like each other. And then it's like, so our parents said, okay, so you guys obviously already like each other, so you can get married whenever you're ready. And we were just like, wow, married? 
I mean, it was all, it was so, it felt like an arranged marriage. Hmm. That is what the the statement I wanted to interrupt you and say, and I'm like, no, Gil, stop interrupting. Listen, keep interrupting. (laughs) But like, that's what I was thinking. It sounded like an arranged marriage. Yeah. And so that date was like early August. Uh, He put a ring on my finger as an engagement ring Um, at the end of August. We, our wedding date was November 8th. So it was like. Engaged for two months. Wow. That was, and, and we, we knew each other, but we hadn't had a relationship except for those two months. And we were never allowed to be alone. So we had a brother or sister in the backseat if we drove anywhere. I mean, you never. And it's from that to, all right, you're married, get naked, have sex, make yeah. lots of babies. Yeah. Sex is great Boom. now. <laughs> yeah. You want to talk about the weirdest period of my life. And I got pregnant within a month. So. Wow. How um, old were you? And I had high, 19. Wow. And am I? And he, he was twenty six, or just turning twenty six. Yeah, and so um, I had hyperemesis, so I started vomiting my brains out, and I got to be about ninety five pounds. Oh and so I went from being thinking I was this pretty cute little young newlywed to emaciated, mm. and you know, and so sick, and uh, had that baby, and then uh, fifteen, just barely fourteen months later, had another baby. And then before they, the oldest was even three, I had another baby. Before I was 28 years old, I'm still 27, I had my fifth child. Wow. <laughs> they were just coming and coming and coming. Like I had – and of course being raised quiverful, you're like – I'm doing the good stuff here. That's what I was taught to do, right? Yeah. And I wasn't prepared for the fact that it wasn't what they told us. Mm. Elaborate. What do you mean on that one? It wasn't romantic. It wasn't – beautiful it wasn't i was in over my head i was sick my mom had glowed when she was pregnant like she was gorgeous and happy and like she had she had wanted to be pregnant you know and she had help she had kids that were older Mm -hmm. and she had Mm -hmm. um she and my dad were financially situated well you know we were not 19 years old yeah. Mm. yeah and i realized i remember the day i was about I was holding my fifth baby in bed um, just, you know, a couple of days after giving birth. And I suddenly realized that I was younger than my mom was when she had had me and I was her her first child. Wow. And I had had five children because my mother was like the amazing housekeeper. You know, she like had perfect house and like cooked meals and all the stuff. She was like Susie Homemaker, really, really amazing at it. And I was failing at all of it. And then I was like, but I'm 27 with five tiny little people. I wonder what that <laughs> does to anyone. <laughs> I wonder why I can't keep up. Oh, man. And, you know, so anyway, yes, it was not what I was expecting. And I was very um, – and so I snuck birth control. I went to my doctor and I begged her to come up with something that was undetectable that my ex would not know. So that way you could – Now now my ex-husband, yeah, would not know that I was – um, unable to conceive. So I got an IUD and that worked really well. And it took him a couple of years to figure out why we didn't Why the babies just stopped. A couple was, years, huh? Was, were you guys yeah. like, I mean, you had left ATI at that time. Was We did. We left ATI right away. Okay. Like, okay. Immediately. Like we met because of ATI. He was in ATI, but he was older. So he was never an ATI student. Like he had gone through all of school um, in public school, and his family had gotten into ATI after he had left for the military. So he was involved in ATI as an adult, as a leader, and that's very different experience. Okay. Um, so, but we had very similar evangelical backgrounds. Okay. And both of our parents had bought into the Quiverful thing. So we were like, we talked about it a ton before we got married that we were going to have at least 10 kids. Okay. Like that was like. Going to be no trouble at all. I mean, I was 19. Why couldn't we pop out 10 kids easy? <laughs> so like a lot of those teachings just just stuck to you. Like even once yeah. you left that ATI, it was a lot of the, the indoctrination well, we, stayed. We got in when I was eight. You know, mm. my parents went to their first basic seminar when I was five. And so we had IBLP materials around our house for all of my memory. I don't have a period of time that I remember ATI not being a part of our life. So yeah, so even when just the ability to tell my doctor, I want to decide for myself whether or not I have another baby, regardless of what my husband thinks about it, 
was huge. Mm. Like you cannot know how hard it was. And that was years of being out. Years and years and wow. years of technically being out of ATI. And I was wearing pants and, you know, like all <laughs> <Yeah>. that stuff. <laughs> Um, if anybody thought that was weird, um, women were only allowed to wear skirts in these circles. Well, so okay. it's not like people were walking around pantless and then suddenly right. like, ooh, pants. I, can't. I wore ooh, pants. pants. <laughs> I was Pooh Bear for a long time. I'm sorry, y'all. Donald Duck just wandering around. <laughs> exactly. Okay, for those listening, we pro- we should probably... Maybe okay. This is a question I had earlier on, but it ties into the how you, women you were talking about women didn't wear pants where you were from. So you came out of fundamentalism, Nate. Um, we're talking ATI, and ATI is separate than fundamentalism. Or I was at least surprised as I was listening to your podcast to realize a lot of people who were part of ATI wouldn't necessarily all be at fundamentalist churches. That they'd also end up in evangelical churches as well. And maybe we can make yes. that distinction between evangelical and fundamental. How do we how do we sum that up in a, a quick Nate way? Would for definitely people? be better at. What do you that, think? That I, me. I mean, yeah. in terms of fundamentalism, I, I think I would probably come come out of this with a, a bit more questions because um, from what I understand of ATI um, and some of the teachings that came out of there, it would be much more compatible with a fundamentalist That's church. That's why I was so surprised to hear yeah. that they were out of evangelical churches because, okay, so there was one episode where you talked about the overarching theme of ATI being separating yourself from others, which is fundamentalism. That, that is. That's the, mm-hmm. the foundational tenet of fundamentalist christianity so evangelicals and fundamentalists very similar in terms of beliefs on how jesus dies for your sins in terms of how you go to Mm -hmm, heaven mm -hmm. in terms of Mm -hmm. the bible's role they have like a very it's like it's almost like this is my perception fundamentalism is just much more like we look like we're out of a different era type of group where you're not allowed using rock music or drums or anything cool Mm -hmm. you have to take everything very very seriously your hairstyles Mm -hmm. your clothing everything is but much more old school you got to look like you're stuck Mm -hmm. from another era in your church um you don't watch anything modern everything's dangerous and bad Mm -hmm. um but apart Mm -hmm. from that they share a lot in common with evangelicals yes um because the they do have the same like you said, belief systems. Um, basic theology. Right, basic yes. theology, for sure. Um, their mm-hmm. theology and their uh, soteriology, which is the, the mm. uh, how you, quote-unquote, get saved in, in yes. Christian parlance. Yes. But the, I think the thing that makes the fundamentalist churches and fundamentalist organizations distinct from evangelicals is that like their obsession with the doctrine of biblical separation um they hold that so closely that they will there i mean there's currently uh an, an argument and debate going on in and surrounding my alma mater because of their um their decision to start using or promoting um operation christmas child which oh, their alignment is, with franklin yeah, graham they, is that's upsetting. now they now oh. they now see that there are people who are connected to the university who see that as um, aligning with Franklin Graham's organization, which means they're okay. taking a step uh, outside of the doctrines of separation. Right, right. And there's a whole history as well. Uh, I, did, I guess I didn't realize that Franklin Graham had a big difference in his doctrines of separation. I feel like he, he's become much more, or maybe I didn't notice it before, or how different he is from Billy Graham in the sense mm-hmm. that he, like, maybe mm-hmm. it was the Trumpism stuff. I was like, wow, this guy probably. is not well, I grew just. Up- with the him, mm-hmm. I actually went to church with his kids, but they were in our my Sunday school class. Franklin Graham's kids, or mm-hmm. wow, okay, yeah, I grew up in Boone, North Carolina, so okay. which is where uh, Samaritan's Purse is, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I grew up with with them, and so they went to church with me. So I guess I assumed their theology was pretty similar, but mm-hmm. again, like I'm saying, like my parents were, and I don't know if I actually did say this earlier, but my parents were more mainline evangelical than the, especially starting out. Okay. We ended up in some fundamentalist churches. And then, of course, at, well, and then kind of as follows, when um, my husband and I got married and we left, we ended up in fundamentalist churches. I remember going to several independent fundamentalist Baptist churches because that was familiar to us at first. Kind of feels more and like I, ATI, right? Ish? Sort yeah, of? ish. Yeah. And, you know, you'd walk in and be like, Okay, yeah, I kind of get these people, and but after a little bit, I would, I my rebellion would just kick in. Like I wanted so badly to wear pants or skirts that were a little <laughs> shorter, or you know, or or spaghetti strapped top to shirt. Oh and, no! 
and Scandals. you know i loved <laughs> yes i loved pushing the boundaries i remember one time i bleached my hair blonde and that was a big deal oh uh, see my um, my rebellion was <laughs> i got frosted tips child of the early 2000s and late 90s with the frosted she looked like a boy band definitely uh there was definitely some of the (laughs) the influences of my um of my youth uh who was it i think it was fundamentalist were you still in your fundamentalist church when you got your first yes i was (gasps) because it technically okay it was it was against the rules (laughs) at school but it was not against the rules at church how did you start skipping school what did you do i was done i was i was done with school Oh, I had, I had, all, yeah, okay. this was, um, I, I stayed at my fundamentalist church, um, for almost a year after I had, uh, graduated from Bob Jones. So, um, okay. I was no longer. So this uh, is what you did when you left Bob Jones, you frosted your tips. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yep. That's awesome. There you go. Yep. And I That's stopped, awesome. I stopped wearing a necktie to church. So Ooh, I would just wear, that, that I would big. just wear the jacket and and you know or a suit but no necktie <laughs> okay this nice. we're, we're going all over the yeah, place scandals. but fun, my, my <laughs> no my my experience in fundamentalism isn't actually my own it's my foster parents um they came out of fundamentalism but they would tell me stories of like when you're talking about the doctrine of separation how much you know being pure and being better than the other people was a big deal mm-hmm. they would they came out of like the same assemblies they were like um closed brethren churches were the names of these fundamentalists mm-hmm. but anyway they uh, they and another, or maybe it was their church, split in two over something so minor. And then they're, they believe the same things. They're identical, but one is on one end of the block and the other is on the other end of the block. And they're not allowed talking <laughs> to each other. And they're out of communion with each other. And it's like, if you go to that church, you become unsaved because you're only... And it was just like the like when they talk so about funny. those stories of the separatism, like that kind of works so better than you attitude that yeah. was pervasive. It makes me... it that's I just... That's what I know of it or yeah. what I understand of it from... From the culture. Well, and one of the things I think that was really obvious to me, because it took a little while after I left ATI for us to stumble into a reformed church, because ATI is very not reformed. No Calvinist theology anywhere to be found. Um, and so that was interesting. But we did pull um, more Mennonite and that, you know, quite a few of those. But they kept to themselves. ATI really, Bill himself preferred families that were a lot like mine, where they, and, and this sounds terrible, but the only way I know how to say it is just say it. We were pretty attractive, you know, like um, well-spoken, wore normal clothes that were, that fit his version of modesty, but looked sharp. Right. You looked like you had just come from a business meeting. Um, but you were very conservatively dressed business meeting. You know, that was Bill's ideal look. And a lot of people couldn't figure it out and couldn't couldn't quite strike it. But that was kind of my parents already. They did that look already. That was kind of the way that they were pretty sharp and dressers. And both of my parents were very well-spoken, well-educated and leaders in the church and that type of thing. And so Bill loved families like us and he would have a tendency to promote and we didn't like specific we didn't speak at events and things like that but i think i was 11 at my first ati seminar where this was they had these huge ati seminars okay how big is ati how big are these seminars how much people are involved in this this cult tens of thousands of people um would pack into the stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee, at the what was then the Thompson Bowling Arena, we've packed the entire thing. I don't remember how many people, but it was over a hundred thousand people. They're taking wow thousands and thousands and thousands wow. of, of people. Trying to like look at uh, the spread and out, uh, like the how far I out. Send ATI. you a picture. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. I should send you a picture because that was the that was the period where it was the top. Like when I was in those years, of, like the peak uh, that, of that ten year era was the peak. It was definitely the largest. Um, and those seminars were like these epic, you know, events that we just looked forward to. And they'd have all of the apprenticeship students, they called us, um, in a big choir and we all sang. And I think one of the apprenticeship choirs that you can go online and I'll send you a link because you'll just get the biggest kick out of it, but (laughs) it's on YouTube of us all singing and I'm in that choir, um, was almost 10,000. We'll stick it in the show notes for those who want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. You can stick it in your show notes because it's, it's a. It's. It was. We were singing Bill's favorite song, which is "It Will Be Worth It All," which is a okay. obscure hymn he adored. 
Um, and uh, we had a very specific style. He liked it sung in, and we sang it every single one. But the first time I went, um, I Bill was like a celebrity, so you would go and stand in line to speak to him if you mm. wanted to have him autograph something. Oh wow! And I got, I walked up to, I got in line and I waited to speak to him. My dad was just kind of like, "What are you? What?" And I, we were with another family, and they had a son that was just a couple months older than me. And my dad made him go with me and because uh, he didn't want me running around the Thompson Bowling Arena by myself. I was 11. And so I go down there and my friend's with me. He's like shifting. He was really annoyed. <laughs> he was like, I don't want to do this. He was not the groupie type. And I was yeah. like, I'm going to meet Mr. Gothard. And so <laughs> Doesn't I Doesn't sound there. like a cult at all. <laughs> no. Right? Oh, my gosh. So we get up there and he says, hi. And I said, Hi. I'm Jessica Goforth, and he says, well, it's nice to meet you. You know, he could tell that I had the little stars in my eyes, and he kind of gets down a little bit on my level, and he says, is this your brother with you? And he was like, no, I'm not her brother. And I was like, no, he's my friend. And he was like, oh, like that was naughty. Oh, and boy. Like, man. And so then he says, um, he said, well, um, he signs my Bible for me. And then he said, he looks at me, and he does that little look, you know, that creepy men do. And he's like, come see me in a few years. Oh, boy. You, know, you, oh, keep, you keep coming back to see me. And I did. Oh. Every single seminar where he was, I would go up, and I would wait in line, and I would see. And he knew exactly who I was every mm. single time. And he'd be like, you're Jessica, right? And I'd be like, yes! Oh, my gosh! I mean, never, you know? and having yeah. listened to and knowing the history of some of the scandals that have broken re with mm -hmm. regards to Bill Gothard and how he handled women and all of the the stories that have been put together um, over what he was doing behind the scenes and how creepy. Um, a lot yeah. of women were handpicked to be his personal, I don't know what, mm -hmm. go go hang with him, tour with him. Mm -hmm. um, yep. Sounds like a harem. It, it really does. <laughs> yes. and yeah, it I, really was. As I was listening to your story, you mentioned at some point that he asked your dad if you could join him as part of that as yes. well. Yeah, he did. And, you know, this was after years of this. And in some ways, it was a type of grooming, mm -hmm. you know, because you just you get more and more and more familiar with him. And yeah, he did. He asked my dad if I would join his traveling staff and be part of his his little entourage. And, you know, my dad was a business owner. And so he was like, so you interviewed her for a job? And Mr. Gothard was like, no, um, I just noticed that she has a very shining countenance. There's these are ATI terms, you know, <laughs> oh. and uh, and my dad was like, "But what do you want her to do?" Ooh. And he said, "Well, I want her to meet you know dignitaries and famous people all over the world, and you know presidents of countries." And my dad's like, "Yeah, but like, what's she gonna do?" <sighs> <laughs> Sounds and, like and your dad it, was sharp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like all of a sudden he was realizing this was not a job interview. This was just a she seems really sharp. And he knew that I could present, you know, very articulate and and. But your dad was like, open. spell this out. What is she there yeah. for? <laughs> but he also knew I didn't really have an education. And so he was like, I need to know what you plan on having her do, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 and I think that he may have sensed. I don't know. When I asked him later, years and years later, he's like, I didn't know he was a creep. I have no idea. Like, but it just didn't sound right. And he said, I wanted, I was paying a lot for you to be in that program you were in right now. And he said, I didn't want to just yank you out on the whim of some guy who didn't even really know what he was going to let you have you do. Mm. He said, yeah, no. Mm. Mm -mm. Yeah. And so he just said, no. And I so just grateful. breathed such a sigh of relief when you said that, when you told your story. And I was like, mm. thank goodness she was, she was spared. And I, I from what I understand of the other women that, that put a lawsuit together against him, the only reason yes. it didn't go to court was because the statute of limitations expired, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. That is, yep. that just makes me so angry because I feel like that's such a common thing in a lot of religious sex abuse situations. Yeah. So I, have a, I have a question because um, I had read that there, that uh, IBLP had made some half hearted attempts at distancing, distancing themselves from Gothard in, in the wake of mm -hmm. some of these scandals. And yet he's still sort of the, Explain some of that to me, because I'm a, I'm a little confused as yeah. to how all of that is is playing how out. How that played out? Well, because there 
is no ATI or IBLP without Bill Gothard's materials. Everything mm-hmm. is presented by him. Every, all every video is presented by him. Every um, thing is written as if it's his. Although there were whole teams of people that wrote those materials, um, the wisdom booklets were not something he sat in his office and wrote. Mm. There were teams of people, and some of them were just students, kids that liked to research and they'd get stuck in a room to help create the wisdom booklets. So it's a very strange education. Anyone who's looked at it, who knows anything about educating children is like, this is, this is at best a Bible study. At worst, it is some sort of convoluted attempt to brainwash people. (laughs) And Um, what blows my mind is there's all of this obsession about how families are supposed to be structured, right? Like he wrote, he wrote so much Mm -hmm. about, how families are supposed to be structured, and he didn't—he didn't have a family of his never own. Married. Never, never married. Had, never married. Never married. Never kids. had any children of his own. So that ATI sounds like a now, good person to have you instructing you on all of that, right? <laughs> right. And so, yeah, he—he he was re, he resigned in light of a lot of the scandal, and I think he expected the scandal to blow over and come back, and the board just said no. So that was very shocking to him. But ATI doesn't work or doesn't exist without Bill Gothard's materials, his name, his his face, right. his videos. And so everyone still thinks of him as the the figurehead, okay. I would say, of ATI. But technically, he's not allowed on campus. There's a great wonderful very cathartic video to watch of him trying to get onto this <laughs> big sandy campus. And the police escorting him. Oh off. wow! Wow, that's incredible. it's on YouTube, and I, I tell you that video. It's about an hour long. Yeah. It takes forever for them to get to him, get him out. <laughs> to get him out of there. But I just must I be watched satisfying it just, for ex-members to watch. <laughs> it was well. I mean, I they sh- said you can't be here. You you can't be here. So how? I guess I'm I'm confused though because nobody questioned. Um, the the fact that he was the one writing these materials, nobody like tried to put things together. What? No. What was the I rationale? Really... It, if the, so hypothetically, if somebody were to have asked, how come this single guy who doesn't have kids of his own gets to dictate how we all run our families? Um, <laughs> what was the standard ATI yeah, answer? Yeah. What, what would they have? How, what was the rationale? He was a great speaker, had great ideas. He was presenting things that were already out there by others like Gary Smalley and, okay. you know, um, Jim Dobson. And these guys were already talking about a lot of these concepts and they were married and did have families. And so he was considered to be someone who was presenting things that were already well believed already by people who were fathers mothers, parents, you know. And so it wasn't necessarily considered to be his original ideas, everything, but that he had packaged it for you. It was like the genius that took all the great ideas out there and helped you to get the the fullness of all of the different stuff. So it didn't occur. Nobody felt like he had brand spanking new ideas. Okay. No one felt like his ideas were were all new or anything that he was teaching was new. It was just that he had a special anointing or something. (laughs) My God. Well, no, that he put it together in a way that was useful and that, and and his big thing at the basic seminar is his seven basic principles for life, which he said were non-optional. And so if you followed them, whether you were a Christian or not, you did not need to be saved. You did not need to be a Christian for these principles to benefit your life. So in that way, he was like, a, you know, what did they call it? A like a guru. <laughs> yeah, like a like a prosperity gospel okay. preacher is oh, what I was going okay. for. Right, he God will bless your life gospel. if you follow this formula. The good blessings will flow on to you guys, and if you leave and this it stuff, it's going to go bad. Right, mm. exactly. And it was terrifying the stories he would tell. Um, they had lots of materials. Um, that were of snakes biting people and killing their entire family, you know, because they didn't um, follow God's law, you know, direction for their life, um, car accidents and causing people to die. I mean, I was very afraid. I spent most of my, I had, um, you know, I was afraid of 
not confessing my sins before communion. So because oh, yeah. ATR was also a lot a lot of Baptist kind of mm-hmm. theology, yep. and I had attended Baptist churches, so they only do it every fifth Sunday. Oh, okay. <laughs> you have communion yeah. every time there's a fifth Sunday in a month. Oh, really? That is the way they do it? Huh. Yeah, my my church did it once a month. Well, mine was yeah. Open well, Brethren. We were the realest Christians. We did it every <laughs> single week. We had breaking your bread. Every single, yeah. every well, single. Well, see, that's where my problem came in because I was used to it only being on a month that had a fifth Sunday. So that's not very often. Mm-mm. It's like three times a year, mm-hmm. maybe. It's not very often. So it's a big deal. Everything would change. The whole entire service would be structured differently. And there was a lot of time to pray and confess your sins before taking communion. Well, I had been out a long time. We had been in normal churches for years, and I visited my parents who were going to Max Licato's church in San Antonio. Oh, okay. And I've got my whole herd of little kids, and we're like in there, and the service has started, the music is going, and and little cups are being passed around of, of, you know— grape juice and then you know little tiny wafers and you just grabbed they were like s- sitting together mm-hmm. you know the wafer was underneath the little cup of juice and you you and did you peel just, it is it one of those that you peel the... uh they wasn't quite that fancy oh, yet okay. they were just kind of sitting together oh, okay and so i'm corralling my kids and i'm doing all this stuff and it comes to me and i take it and i mean you know, i'm trying to keep my tiny little kids from being like oh juice you know and, like, <laughs> and so i i open it i take it and I took it and then I look around and I sit down and like a wall of guilt hits me. I didn't even stop to pray. I didn't even think about confessing anything. And I all of a sudden had this image of lightning coming straight through the ceiling right down and zapping me. And I knew lightning spreads and I was like, it'll hit everybody in this row and I'm going to kill everybody <laughs> in the kill church. all your children you ha- with you. Uh-oh. You cannot realize how real this was to yeah. me. Wow. Even though rationally. Right rationally i did not believe that was gonna happen Mm -hmm. that's how much fear was a part of your how they raised you to be afraid if you didn't do things the certain way god was gonna punish you yeah i literally ran out of the service i i grabbed my purse and my keys and i ran out and i got to the car i'm having massive panic attack trying to be like jessica it's not real nothing's gonna happen to you it's okay you can confess your sins now go ahead just get started get going you know like and i'm like in the parking lot gulping air my husband at the time chases me out and he's like what is happening what is going on what's wrong with you and i'm like sobbing tears are just pouring out of my eyes and he's like what happened? I don't understand what happened. And I was like choking at <laughs> I t- took communion without praying. He's <laughs> wow. like, oh. uh, I'm sure you're okay. I was like, nope, not okay. Wow. Not okay. It was so bad. And these kinds of things would just happen. I mean, again, it's triggers. 10 mm-hmm. years out of ATI. I mean, we, we, we had a guest recently uh, who came out of Hillsong, and she mentioned how when she vis- visited another church, it was fog machines. Yeah. So, as soon as the fog appeared, she like, like Ooh, it, mentally just it, it, <laughs> and it five was a years trigger. had gone by for her. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. it's interesting. 10 years can go by, and something can just bring you right, yeah. right, like, just yeah. pull you right back into the worst mm-hmm. of it. And, and, the reactions are just so visceral. Yeah. It's like it's your whole yeah. body just shuts down or freaks out. Or so yeah. let's backtrack a little out. bit. Um, yeah. When you when when you and your ex left ATI, was that a big process? I mean, you said you left pretty much right mm-hmm. after. Okay, so it wasn't like you, uh, like you you felt this. Um, th- there wasn't like a big escape story for you. Right? For us, it was more like we were done. Okay. And, and what's hard, the courtship process was so strange in the sense that we followed all the rules we did all the things and we were married and we were and then it almost felt irrelevant okay like he had an education i was now going to have all the babies like we didn't want to use this material and both of us were kind of burned by age we felt really used and abused and if you listen to my podcast you'll find out a lot of like what they did to me when mm. I was involved in the training centers. Oh my goodness. You went to do a year there, right? Yes. Yes. And that was story actually... was harrowing. Like when I listened to it, yeah. I came home and was like, Nate, did you hear? Did you? Because yes. he had listened to some of your podcasts. He was like, yes, I heard that episode where you were 
imprisoned. Yeah. That wasn't, mm-hmm. yeah, that was probably one of the first episodes that I listened to of, of your podcast. And, you know, I don't want, mm-hmm. I don't want to take people away. So I do want people to go and listen to your podcast. What was that episode entitled? I, the one where you were in the it's training? It's called Cult Brainwashing 101. Yeah. That was the one of, of what it was like mm-hmm. to be living in the training mm-hmm. center and going to, and like just what they did to you. I was just like yeah. stunned listening to that story of like. Would you mind sharing that uh, that story with us? So maybe a little bit of background, yeah, no, the, the training center itself, what what was all of that? And, and so, so ATI uh, or IBLP owned land and, and buildings all over the United States and actually ended up owning them all over the world. They had um, buildings in Russia. They had buildings in Taiwan. Um, in Austria, I think New Zealand, okay. not Australia. I was going to say Australia and New Zealand, actually. Um, other places as well. But when I was in, all over the U.S. and one of their main training centers, and they called them training centers, mm-hmm. was in um, Indianapolis, Indiana. And um, that was a hub for a lot of their apprenticeship programs. So a lot of different programs happened there. Um, and I went several times for several different programs uh, the last time I was there was the last year I was in ATI. So I spent that whole year at that training center and it was pretty much hell. Mm. Uh, it was. And you were about on, 17, 18 years old? I was 18. 18. Okay. I had just turned 18 when I left. I turned 19 while I was there. Okay. And um, it was, it was a very, uh, and so after my imprisonment. <laughs> Literal um, for, imprisonment. You didn't know. You didn't, first of all, didn't understand what you had done wrong. Like what they gave you was just, uh, you were sort of regurgitating. I just remember you talking about sobbing on a stage, trying to give an apology because you were forced to get one, but like not really understanding what you had done wrong because it was so vague. And there's all this spying on each other in this place. And then, yes. And then you didn't know when they, they didn't tell you you're going to come out in X number of days. Mm -hmm. You were just thrown into solitary confinement under some other spiritual title name. What, what did they say they were sticking you in? They called them the prayer room. The prayer room is called the prayer room. It's the solitary Mm -hmm. confinement room, basically. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. You're by yourself. Four days. Mm -hmm. The windows are opaque. You can't even see outside. You couldn't see out. Mm -mm. Mm. Yeah. There was some sort of fog put on the windows so you couldn't see out. Um, it was, it was very disorienting. And, and you know, when you read about how people do brainwashing, that's pretty much exactly what they did. Mm. You know, it was uh, intense, you know, re- writing out exactly what they told you to say. Um, uh, you were supposed to feel very guilty. So I had to write confessions for my sins or the things that I had committed again and done wrong. Although, again, I was very confused about what that was. So I just wrote what they told me to write. Mm. Um a lot of memorization of Bible verses, random, very random Bible verses, and then having to recite those in order to be considered done for the day. So what prompted this? I, I, I realized that the story is a little disjointed. Um, yes, it's my fault. <laughs> I keep interrupting. What, <laughs> no, it's fine. what prompted um, them putting you into this prayer room? Do, do you, or or do you, what was the last thing that you recall happening prior to being sent so there? So the... the the last straw for them was that I didn't complete my homework on time. I was behind on homework, and I had f- apparently flaunted their instruction not to leave my room unless I was actually going to a meal to eat or going upstairs to the school to do school. Um, and I had sat in the hall a couple times outside my door, um, and their spies had caught me doing that. And I had gone to the store once when they had a store run because I needed some things from the store. You guys didn't get to get out of there very long or like Mm -mm. very often to be able to go on runs to get personal, you know, supplies for yourself or anything. It was a lot of people said it was once a month, but I don't think I went once a month. Hmm. I might have gone like three times the entire year I was there. So this is a big opportunity for you to just get out. And I considered, you know, there wasn't anyone to ask permission because um, my instructor was gone and she was on home for a for a holiday. Uh, I think it was Thanksgiving. Um, so I didn't know who to ask. And so I just went and, and I came back and I didn't see that as a special privilege or a special fun thing to do. It just seemed like necessities. Something necess- mm-hmm. Yeah, it seemed important and necessary. So when um, – I she got back. She conferred with her spies, and they they had said that I had not I had flaunted basically her rule to stay in my room and only do homework. I didn't feel like I had. I didn't feel like I had been rebellious. I didn't feel like I had had done anything wrong. 
Um, but you know, if you want to find something, you find it. And so she, oh. fe- I, she felt like she found what she was looking for, which was that I had not followed the rules. It sounds I like, think- like the whole spying culture feels so, yeah. uh, like, I don't know. I know Nate was talking about Bob Jones and how they all were taught to spy on each other. And it was such a big mm-hmm. part of the culture and like they get demerit points off and then you get a certain amount. Oh, we you get lose. demerits added added and yeah. then you get kicked mm-hmm. out and revoke privileges when you get to a certain mm-hmm. point and he was talking mm-hmm. about losing demerits over yeah i got um 75 demerits i think was was what it was um the the scale you get 150 per per semester um basically yeah we call them bj bucks <laughs> like i got 150 bj bucks i can spend on you know i don't want to spend them on stupid things like you know not shaving every day although i did i did <laughs> I did get in trouble for that too. Not yeah, allowed. No. I got 75. Yeah, and, no. and when you hit 75 in one semester, you are placed on social restriction. Um, oh, you guys had lots so, of that at ATI? You know, no friends, huh? You weren't well, allowed to go see your friends? Well, no, we were allowed to see friends of the same sex. Um, we were not allowed to hang out with anybody of. Um, it doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't count. It doesn't count. <laughs> you're hanging out with another guy dude yeah. doesn't count yeah. but man them girls that's social that right is very there. social yep. that's social yep. right there and then uh <laughs> and then when you hit 100 in a semester um you are on campus restriction so you can't leave the campus for any reason oh yeah but the, it's it's i'm sorry i don't want to detract into nate's stuff we yeah, will get into, we will probably <laughs> well, do a bunch nate's of episodes stuff. on bob jones because where i'm i'm yeah. learning about it, i'm like this is wild stuff um, but what oh. I did find similar was the whole, uh, that culture of just people spying mm-hmm. on each other and like, no one's yeah. your friend. Yeah. Everybody is l- almost, you the more dirt you accumulate on others, the better for you. Cause then you can probably get out of stuff by telling on a bunch of people. In every instance that where I got true. in trouble, it was always another student who turned me in for it. Mm-hmm. It was never mm-hmm. anybody who was like admin you know administrative staff you earned a different type of points for that for being a little you know, tattletale like, made you a great yeah. christian mm-hmm. right and and there were this is the thing that people don't understand about ati because bill's proclivities towards exploiting pretty girls people he i mean there's stories of him because every every group that came through, every group that did anything, that if you came for a conference or you came for a class or something, there would be a group photo. Mm. And everybody got to take home their group photo. And he would display these in places. And he would have overweight people stand on the edge so that he could cut them crop off. Crop them out of the photo, like, of course. Crop them out of the photo. Like, looks was important. And so if you couldn't stand out by being attractive enough, then you often would feel this compulsion to, I don't know, tattle or, or stand out in some other way um, and or work really, really hard um, and be indispensable. And so there were people who worked themselves to the bone. And I mean, obviously, ATI encouraged that. Like they were like, yes, you work now. That would be good. But also they would like sign up for extra hoping to be liked and attra- hmm. and. But then the the other side of this coin is that if you're attractive, then obviously there's issues with same sex, you know. And, then you're and, a temptation. Or, 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 or no, with, no. Yeah, no, with the opposite sex, sorry, you know, causing attraction and, mm-hmm. and reaction to your your looks. And so if boys reacted to me, I would be instantly monitored more, much more heavily by leadership mm. because they're watching for anything untoward to happen. Um I was not what you would consider to be like hot, but I was one of those girls that was cute. And so boys tended to like, yeah, they liked me. I will never forget being absolutely terrified because some guy, we were all bused to the same churches. And one of the guys came through that worked with the construction company that that worked for ATI. So they had their own construction crew that built things at training centers. I don't know, remodeled stuff. He sat behind me and I went to one of these churches that had a library in it. And I would go into the church library and I'd check out these little church, churchy romance novels. (laughs) Sit in church and read romance novels. I was so bad. But they were approved by the church. They're like like super Christian romance novels. Right. Right. It was this 
like super evangelical like the, church. The, the, cu- the couples in the romance novels barely make eye contact. There's no yeah, there's no physical barely. touching at all. We're, we're talking Janet Oak type of stuff. Like this is really tame. So, but I'm sitting there reading, you know, because I finally have some time alone to myself. So I'm kind of tuning out, and I don't have any parents to like take notes, you know, in church like my parents had. And so it was kind of my alone time mm-hmm. in church. So I'm towards the back, and I'm sitting there reading, and all of a sudden I feel this person like right over my shoulder, and I kind of look, and there's this guy, and he's like, and he's in my ear, and he goes, "Is your book good?" And I was like, Uh-oh. oh, <laughs> like I'm in trouble now. And I was like, oh, I recognize him from the training center. And I was like, ha, 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 yeah, like that. And I'm like, don't tell anyone like that. And he's like, mm-hmm, I got you. And I was like, this, this is heavy flirting in ATI. Oh, like you have wow. no idea. This so was this could be in heavy. one of the ATI romance novels for like, oh, no, oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Like, this was... This was a I hot, was like, heavy... I'm, like, turning 10 shades of red. Like, this was, this was like, way too much. <laughs> I don't know if I can handle this whole story, Jessica. I think oh, I need to go cleanse it myself. It worse. <laughs> oh, no. What happened next? <laughs> the next day, he shows up to the training center, to, to the cosmetology school, which I was in, in the training center, to get his hair cut by our teacher. Oh. And she's cutting his hair. And he's looking and- your way. So I'm at the table near and he sees me in the mirror and he looks in the mirror and he goes, did you finish your book in that same seductive, like, oh my God, my my teacher goes, what book? What are you talking about? What is he talking about? And I'm like, no, nothing. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Oh no. Ran out of there. And he like winked at me in the mirror. Like I was. I found him in the hall later and I like shoved him in the chest and I was like, you nearly got me kicked out of this place. I was like, what are you doing? Oh, what are, do you know laugh. how much we could get oh in trouble God. for this kind I, of stuff? exactly what I said. I was like, do you know how much trouble you could get me into? And he just laughed because he's leaving in a few minutes and they needed their construction guys. But that's how bad they wow. would be monitored for just talking about a book. You would- that's that's. Fred. It's incredible. Wild stuff, man. So, oh, I was also gotten huge trouble for riding the elevator alone with a boy once. Oh. We know what happens in elevators. I've yes. watched a lot of romantic stories start off with an elevator. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so that's one of those sexy elevator rides. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When yeah, I was single, I didn't get on any dating <laughs> websites. I decided I was just going to ride elevators and see what happens. There you go. <laughs> see what exactly. kind of trouble I can get into riding elevators with strangers. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah, there you go. A book on we it. Had, um, there, there were a few elevators on campus that... That weren't like glass elevators. There were, there were, I think there was one or two uh, glass elevators in some of the the newer buildings at at my school. Mm-hmm. And um, but the 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 non glass elevators, there was always somebody stationed by the elevator to make sure that like people weren't going in together. <laughs> wow, that's so bad. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Is I was riding the elevator at a time of day where it was pretty dead, and someone at the front desk watched me get on the elevator with a guy. And they watched the numbers and the elevator was broken. So it didn't work very well. And it would stop too long on floors. And there were girl floors and guy floors. So it stopped on his floor and he got off and I waited and waited and waited and waited for the elevator doors to shut. And they wouldn't shut and they wouldn't shut. Finally, they almost shut and he comes running back around the corner and he pushes them open again. And he says, can I come up to the school and get my hair cut? today and i was like of course you can it's always open like everyone knows this you know he's like okay all right bye and i'm like bye you know go away and so he goes away and now i wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait for the elevator doors to finally shut they shut by the time i got to the 13th floor where our school was i get off which is the top floor and i get to my teacher's office and i just happen to pass her office she's like jessica get in here and i was like what did i do they had already called from the front desk and said she was on the elevator for X number of minutes on the seventh floor with him. Wow. Wow. (laughs) It's like, nothing happened. I don't even like him. Like, what? Jessica continues her story in our next episode. So if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. If you don't already have one, you can visit our website where you'll find a list of all of the apps we're available on. And while you're there, be sure to check out our previous episodes, leave us comments, messages, and so much more. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on social media. We're Full Mutuality on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Full Mutuality Podcast. <laughs>